and thank you for taking the time to join us for another Dairy Dialogue podcast. Beautiful weather here in rural Scotland for the past few days, breaking temperature records and even warmer than some parts of the Mediterranean. Although having said that, I'm just looking out of the window and it started raining. So forget all that part. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter and this week with the huge Vita Foods event coming up at the Pal Expo in Geneva, Switzerland in just a couple of weeks, we have a preview of the show. Having said that, I was in a bit of a dilemma over what to do with the programme this week. There were three very good interviews, one with the organisers of the show and two with exhibitors at the event. And they are quite long, so I had two options, split it over two weeks and have two shows on Vita Foods and have them both a bit shorter, or have a longer one this week and hope I have enough material for next. So I did an in-depth analysis, which landed tails, and therefore it's the long version. If you listen to the podcast while commuting, then maybe there'll be a delay or you could drive around the block a couple of times or even listen to this over two days. Although having said that, it's not really that long. For those of you going to Vita Foods, which is an important annual event in the nutraceutical and ingredient space, hopefully it's a productive show for you and we'll be there. So if you're looking to meet up, please get in touch and we can set up an interview. The first day, May the 7th, is already pretty busy. But I'm there for two days, so there's still plenty of opportunity. This year I'm trying to get everything done in two days, and on the third day, which is the last day of Vita Foods, May the 9th, I'm heading into the mountains, not for some relaxation, but to do a feature on Gruyere cheese. It only involves getting up at 4am, getting a taxi, a tram, and changing train three times. Hopefully I'll have some good stories for you from that adventure, unless I miss the stop and end up somewhere in Siberia. I have to say, of all the events I go to, Vita Foods is one I can't miss. I sometimes wonder if I should go again every year, but by January the calls and emails are coming in to do interviews there, and by mid-April I'm shuffling interviews around doing two an hour instead of one, and hoping I can get from point A to point B quickly, so it's definitely an event I have to attend. On this week's show, we talk to Chris Lee, Managing Director, Health and Nutrition Europe, in former markets, who put on the Vita Foods event, and two exhibitors tell us about what they will be presenting at Vita Foods, as well as the reasons they attend. So we also chatted with Neos Bonavida, Segment Manager at Friesland Campina Ingredients, and Vincent Matisse, Strategic Marketing Manager, Dairy DuPont. And so first, we'll get an overview of the event from Chris Lee about the history, as well as what's going on this year. And here's a hint. There's a lot. I first asked Chris about how soon they start planning for a big event such as this. In terms of content themes, we won't we won't get that kind of probably until six months out from that event. But actually putting the wheels in motion, no, we, we actually start certainly um, from three months actually, actually before the, the actual show takes place. So maybe 15 months before um, the next show runs. So you're always working several steps ahead, I guess. Pretty much so, yeah. We need to be doing that and also kind of juggling the other things in our portfolio as well with the Asia event and, and also the, uh, the the content driver, which we have through Vitafoods Insights as well. Most of these events, they get feedback and or do feedback afterwards with questionnaires and what have you. Is that important in shaping things or is that mainly just to, just to see that you're on the right track? No, I think that's that's one one of the biggest parts of it actually, and um, you know to 
to actually get that feedback from different groups, whether it is the exhibitor, whether it's the, uh, the people that actually attend the show, or actually on more occasions, we actually research into the people that don't attend the exhibition as well and, and are those people that uh, are certainly in industry but trying to understand what would potentially make them come and be part of that community but every, any any research that we can do and look into is the top of the agenda for us and we've, we've actually got a few roundtables happening this this year on that basis for uh, our exhibitors that are in contract manufacturing and private labeling to to understand that space and, and how they develop it and the right people to outsource to. Um, and, and also the, the, the real people that make up our industry from attending point of view with uh, small to medium enterprises. Do you tweak the show every year or do you, do you just basically look at how the last one has gone and then take it from there? We've got a winning formula. I think that's that's where I'll start. I mean, you know, we are, you know, the, the enabler really for buying and sourcing global nutraceuticals in, in, in Europe and, and potentially the world. So um, we have got a formula that we've, we've tweaked in a number of years, but and then driving up themes, you know, what's really getting the in, shaping the industry at the moment. So that, I think that's where we where we take it from, you know, where where are the mega trends coming from? What are the emerging trends? What are regulations and legislation? Where's the latest science um, they're all crucial drivers to help us uh, form a strategy and, and what are you seeing as the major trends this year yeah so I mean there, there's been over even over the last couple of years there's been huge trends with with personalized nutrition nutrition being being one of those without doubt but the um, digital technologies are emerging you know CBD is as a category and I, I think the trends are driven from consumer the consumer has been disrupting the marketplace for the last decade at least as we know um you know the plant-based revolution i would definitely agree with that i think that from many of the shows that i attend a few years ago plant-based and plants and vegan was an afterthought if it was even involved at all and now you go to shows and it seems to be front and foremost in many of the booths that you see yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's. I think even if you're looking at vegan, having quadrupled in the last three or four years within the UK alone, um, I mean, I think that tells you quite a major trend that's changing there. I mean, flexitarian is a is a, is a term that we're starting to use now in the, in the last couple of years, which is which is a, a very interesting one about looking at how things are sustainably sourced and, and reducing that, but not taking completely out the diet. So that's where the the, the plant based and certainly proteins are coming into into that to help supplement the diet where the actual deficiencies can start coming in you know b12 is a big thing now where for vegetarians as we know that if there's a deficiency and um, that's what's needed uh, vitamin d calcium you know th those areas that manufacturers now especially at vita foods are looking to supply back to the consumer uh, with an education which is the most important thing you touched on it before the with the rise in plant-based it's not just in order to be healthy for themselves it's also because people are starting to think about what a difference it can make to the planet in terms of sustainability yeah the, the concerns now I, th I think and again in the last kind of five years are, are really coming to the forefront of, of, of people's minds we've had that backlash on plastics which is which is absolutely quite right in terms of the planet um, you know the, the responsible farming methods and, and and like you say as well about plant-based and and I think it is about making a difference you know there's so many um, surveys out there being researched at the moment and, and there's you know the, the majority is saying 75% at least of people are saying that you know if they can make a difference in, in their food choices alone um, they, they certainly will of course in terms of environmental friendliness we have labeling that tells us what's good for us and what's in there and the amount of fat and sugars and, and that kind of thing do you think that we're heading towards labeling that also includes the environmental impact of products 
Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. And, and, and I think with, you know, where the consumers are and where they're driving this, um, it, it's only going to go that way. So the companies that are thinking about this now already will be ahead of that curve. And, and that's some of the discussion that we are facilitating at, at, at Vitafeed Europe in Geneva um, next month as well. How do you set the agenda for the? Because obviously it's not just about having all kinds of booths to go and look at. There's an educational component to that as well. How do you put that together? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, that that's the the cornerstone of really what we are. I mean, you know, no, number one, we're an enabler for for buying and sourcing for for our industry, like we said. But actually, what's going to help shape the kind of future is putting that content together. So we actually have a, a, an advisory board of industry, and that's from the very large food manufacturers on one side, and also the ingredients companies or, or the uh, private labelers and and the branded finished products. So we consult with all of those people over. A yearly basis. We have dedicated content team here engaging with the actual people that come and attend and, and what they take away from our events and in terms of a content perspective. So we will we will talk about that in a previous year. We'll analyze and understand trends and, and where we want to really make an impact as a show. And then and then we'll we'll contract to those topics, those trends, those subject matters. And on the basis that someone comes in and, and they really walk away from the show saying, that's what I wanted to achieve. My challenge or objective is something that I came here to see and I can actually take that back into my workflow. VitaFood seems to have grown in scope and also in terms of its geographical footprint. You seem to be attracting people from all over now and how, how do you assess that? Yeah, so, so the show has has really um, been in line with industry as, as industry has been progressing, certainly VitaFood has been progressing and that space between food and pharma, which is really important, is, is, is exactly where we sit. So, you know, we don't want to go into directly into, into the general food space and we're not about curing things, so we're not about in, in the pharma space. So when we come back into, into this area, the, the importance for growing and um, with industries taken us to uh, nearly 1,300 exhibitors now on the show floor from over 70 different countries, like you say, quite quite global, and the visiting audience as well coming in to, to match that that need, that desire, that understanding, that education is nearly around uh, 23,000 uh, people. So it really is connecting the whole supply chain uh, as an event in Geneva now globally. I think the most important thing to point out here is that it's, it's growing with the vision. You know, I mean, our, if, we, if we go back to who we are as, as informal markets and, and Vitafood Europe, you know, we, we, we set our, our mission statement, our, our value proposition, yeah, our core values around being shaping the food industry for optimal health through science and innovation. You know, that, that's something that where we play uh, a real part in, in the industry. You know, we're, we're enabling, we're facilitating, we're connecting, but we've got a responsibility there as well. And I think although we're, we're a catalyst at a certain part of the supply chain, that's where we bring our value. And what would you say are the highlights of the event this year? Obviously, there are going to be many, but anything that stands out for you? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot. So there's a lot to come this year on on content, which is premium in terms of summit. So we're talking sustainability and traceability. Obviously, that's what we would be, we would be talking about. We're talking personalized nutrition, food technology, mental wellness. 
Um, we can't forget CBD and hemp and actually exploring the potential of that. And, and then when we go on to our exhibition floor, we've, we've got a lot of new things that we're, we're developing this year and we'll be implementing. So um, going back to that, that mission statement about science innovation, we're going to have a clinical trials area for the first time and um, trying to really help our attendees understand their challenge about um, you know, the process of clinical trials and how much it costs or how long it would take and, and actually how much more successful you could be after having a clinical trial, which is really important to us working with EHPM and regulatory clinics. One of the exciting things that complements this to build our community as well is these additional side events for networking. So we have a community breakfast on two days on the Wednesday and Thursday of the show in the morning where we can actually bring people together and set them up for the day and, and their meetings ahead. But as networking, we have a 5K run as well. And, and do you have any new companies this year? We're probably over 200 new new companies in there, so we've, we've got, got a retention rate of about 1,100 companies. So there's there's 200 at least 200 companies in there, ranging from um, probiotics to Amigas to performance nutrition. And will there be product launches as well this year? There'll be an area where visitors can come in and actually plan out their show by looking at product showcases, nearly, nearly 150 product showcases, to, to understand if, if this is something they want to talk further about on their stand, but showcasing those latest innovations. Now it's over to one of the exhibitors, Neos Bonavida, Segment Manager Adult Nutrition at Friesland Campina Ingredients from the Netherlands. I asked about preparations for heading to Vita Foods. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had uh, this morning we had our uh, kickoff meeting um, with the team. We have been putting all the dots on the east on terms of uh, aligning on all our launches, documentation, uh, what do we want to achieve, what are our targets, uh, where are we participating. So we are uh, set to go. We are very excited about it. I think when, when people go as a visitor to an event, they don't realize the amount of work that companies put in beforehand to to be organized and to know exactly what's going on. No, indeed, I think you want to bring your message through. You want to make sure you get the quality visits, but also that the, the good experience and the quality experience from our customers and prospects. So you want to make sure that indeed all those, all that pre-work is done so that the uh, the people visiting the uh, the booths will have the, uh, the best experience and uh, hopefully, and that's what we are aiming also for, is that we will inspire them for new products, uh, for new innovations where we can support them, right? So uh, all of that, you need a very good preparation. You need to make sure that uh, everyone is available, all your products, all your samples, all your presentation uh, to have a smooth booth. Of course, Friesland Campina has been to Vita Foods many times in the past. We are there as, uh, as Friesland Campina ingredients, actually, uh, we will be there with our new brand uh, positioning and with our new adult nutrition division. And that's the one that is rep we are representing at the Vita Foods. With adult nutrition, we, we, we are targeting innovative nutrition solutions for adults through the whole uh, life stages, right? With uh, people with different interests, lifestyle and health goals. So that's what we are aiming uh, within the adult nutrition. So we are combining the segments of performance nutrition, active nutrition and medical nutrition segments into the uh, into the adult nutrition it's coming to life at vitafood you will see all of our new brand positioning also which is about the the inside matters that's our new brand positioning as well will you be seeing new customers as well as existing customers that's always what we uh, what we aim for of course i think for us vitafoods is a 
yeah, it's one of the key events to connect with, uh, with the industry peers and with customers and prospects, of course. So our aim is as well as meeting uh, existing customers and talk to them on, uh, on their existing projects, but also on their innovation and how we can support them on this co-creation process, as well as inspiring new prospects and, uh, and industry, right? Also for the, uh, for the Bite of Foods, we really aim to both share our knowledge but also getting uh, even better understanding of the market, consumer and trends, right, around nutrition for adults. So I think yeah. it's a very good fit for us. Definitely. And what will we be launching there? So we will be very active this year. Um, we will have actually three, um, three seminars, uh, but we will also be at the new product zone, at the sports nutrition zone, and as well as at the tasting bar. So we like to inspire, share knowledge with, with, uh, with the industry peers, as well as letting them taste how nutrition and, and on-the-go convenient nutrition can, can be tasty, right? So it will be a combination of introducing new products, new concepts, as well as showing how could candles actually perform best in final application. We know, especially for the more active nutrition part, people and consumers really are demanding for higher standards on the go, convenient product, but also very tasty products. We are having three seminars in there. One around yeah, innovative solutions uh, beyond traditional lifestyle nutrition, uh, where we will be showcasing our Nutriway Isolate range. This is a state-of-the-art uh, whey protein isolate range uh, especially, we will be showcasing our uh, Nutriweight Isolate Clear, uh, which is a perfect fit for preparing very good tasting and very clear uh, drinks for on-the-go nutrition, clear for clear protein water. We will also be uh, having a presentation on native dairy proteins, where we talk about our Mycelate Prestige and Nutriweight Native. There is an increasing demand for, uh, for consumers for both healthy and natural for protein consumption. And we believe those two native proteins are a very good fit uh, with that trend. So really meeting this consumer need. And the third presentation we are, will be showcasing in the theater presentation on a natural solution uh, for sleep. I will not tell uh, much more uh, about that one. I will invite people to actually join us at the, uh, either at the theater or our own booth. But we see a, a very increased uh, importance of, uh, of a good night's sleep. Eh? Everyone knows they need to sleep. And there are more and more science showing that nutrition can really play an important role during the night to recover well. Yeah, so please just come along. We will have some uh, very inspiring but also tasty concepts to try. And now to Vincent Matisse, Strategic Marketing Manager for dairy at the global company DuPont. And he tells us about the company's reasoning behind attending VitaFoods. VitaFoods comes around the year where people still have time and, and still, you know, are, are a bit active. You know, end of the year, December time frame is always a bit more tricky. So it's one of the shows that a uh, lot of people I know uh, look at to make their connections, at least in Europe. Do you see the same people every year or do you see new people at these shows? new people i mean there is always the usual suspects i mean the ones that come every year most of them come to see what's new and you know what they can benefit a lot of people just come for a day actually that's what i'm seeing is that they come they come in they go around they look at what they wanted they they're very focused and get out and then the others are the ones who come actually not even for the show but come for the conferences 
for the subjects, for the people who are actually presenting, and for the for the summits that are running at the same time as the show. And then they just benefit from being there to go and have a quick look. I think it's extending much more than just Europe. We start to see a lot of people from Asia, Asia-Pacific, uh, even the U.S. So it's becoming more of an international thing than just Europe. And that's, I think, the fact that there's not that many of them, especially for this type of, you know, I mean, especially around uh, the whole health and wellness aspect, you know, making it, uh, I think, a, a relevant show. I know that you've been to many of the Vita Foods shows. Have you seen it change over the years? To be honest, I mean, in the years, it's just grown. It's like probably multiplied 10 times. I'm talking about purely on size. Huh? It's pretty impressive. Even 2017 to 2018, I think they had to open a new hall. So um, it, it's it's been growing considerably. And the growth is not in the, you know, the big players. The big players have always sort of been there. But it's all sort of the Asia-Pacific players, or you have these country pavilions where you have small startups or new people who are trying to enter the market and things like that. And those or you know, distributors who are trying or people who are trying to distribute their products. And so there is all that discussion going on. Over those years, have you seen different trends emerging as well? Yes. Well, the key one is always health and wellness, but then within health and wellness, what you look at, right? So I think what's interesting to see is that the show was always based on probiotics, right? So, I mean, probiotics is, has been always one of the key strongholds of that of that whole uh, whole show. And basically, it was all about health and wellness in the sense of digestive health and, and wellness, right? So that's something that's always been there. And what I've seen actually during the past couple of years is that that has stayed the base, and that's, I think, you know, still very, very relevant. But the messaging and how it has been positioned has changed a lot. And the other things that have come on on top of it is the additional, let's say, what I would call consumer trends or the biggest, the big trends that that we're seeing out there have come on top of that. So now when you go to the show a couple of years ago, it was purely probiotics, right? I mean, it was very focused probiotics. Today, you're talking about protein, you're talking about plant, anything that's plant-based is very, very hot and it's just a hot topic for any industry actually at the moment. And that's for many reasons and we can get into that uh, if, if you would like a little bit more. Then uh, I would say it's all about, you know, uh, the whole clean label aspect, the processing of the food, how it's done, where it's coming from, you know, talking about blockchain and, and, and how, how that's going to also change, you know, where the, you know, how to measure where the food is coming from and where it's been, how it's been treated and, you know, what actually am I buying and where am I buying it from and who am I buying it from. So all these things that I think are increasingly, you know, bringing a different aspect to to, you know, to food, I think that's more and more getting traction within this show because at the end of the day, it is a show that is focused on health and wellness. Do you sort of respond to those trends or do you respond to people coming up to your, your booth and talking about what the latest trends are? Does that shape your focus as well? Yeah, so I think that we have the two angles. We have an angle where we are, of course, pre the show, um, I mean, we are constantly looking at what's happening on the market, not only on the consumer side, but also just within, you know, the players, the food industry, right? And and what we try to tend to do is, at this point, we will have already identified a couple of key trends and a couple of key subjects that we want to promote during the show, and then linking it back, as we always do, you know, linking it back to a concrete concept that people can actually visualize, taste, understand the concept, or understand the trend through an actual product. 
so that's what that's what we've done also for this time and that's what we try to do and the second aspect of it is once we go to the show we gather a lot of information as well so what we do at the end of the show is that we get that we brainstorm around you know the new ideas that have come up depending the industry and see is it in line with what we have planned for the rest of the year or is there something new that we hadn't thought about that we need to start working on and so there is that aspect of validation. Are we on the right track or are we targeting the right subject? And then if we haven't, if there's something new, well, then looking into it to say, well, you know, is this an angle that we need to start looking at or, you know, develop further or look at it in a different way? Before that, um, I think we did it slightly differently. But I think now that's how we tend to do it we always tend to try to look at what's happening and put a consumer spin to it because at the end of the day, that's what's relevant, right? What consumers are thinking, what consumers are wanting to see on the shelves and what they're going to buy. So we know that, of course, we'll be present at certain shows. We know that we will also be launching certain products. We know that we, we will be in front of certain customers. All these things we, we plan in accordance to you know, the trends that we are seeing and then the work that has to be done. Typically, if, if we've seen something, you know, let's say, in the Middle East coming up and you know we want to we want to test that or we want to get that you know confirmed we would then run a consumer research on certain concepts that we have that, that we have developed based on the trend that we're seeing in the market to validate that trend and then bring that validation with of course the data set the concepts back to the customers that's the, the cycle and it's the same thing here I mean you know for Vital Foods we've mandated a study around the plant-based subject which obviously is one that is key for us due to, of course, the portfolio that we, that we offer, but also we know that it's a key trend and it's not one that, I mean, a couple of years ago, I think last year when I talked to you, it was also about plant-based. Um, and I, you know, I, I said, okay, you know, at this point, I'm not so sure if it's, you know, something that is here to stay or is something that's just come and will, you know, fade off. But I think now the message I can tell you now is, gone more towards this is something that is here to stay versus it's going to pass. That's something also that, of course, during Vital Foods, we'll be able to uh, to share and go more in depth. Obviously not wanting you to give anything away necessarily, but are you launching sure, anything sure. at the event? Yes, we will be. What I can tell you is it'll definitely be in the plant-based segment. We will probably launch different things. What, what I'm telling you is what's more relevant for dairy, right? My focus is, is very much dairy related. And so in that aspect, I think what we'll be launching is Las Vita Foods. If you remember, we launched our range of cultures for uh, the plant-based products, fermenting any plant-based, so whether it be you know nuts or uh, or soy or fruits, vegetables, whatever it was. So it was it was a range that was uh, dedicated to really. Uh, the plant-based se segment, and within that, we noticed, of course, there is one. We had a little bit of a of a hole, which was the probiotic side of things. So, without revealing anything, but now you can understand where we're going. We're probably going to launch something in that direction, yeah. and and it's no surprise. I mean, you know, uh, it, for me, the, the the key thing here is that when you're talking about plant-based, you have to look at, you know, what what are people consuming it for. One of the key reasons is health and wellness. Today, you know, we still can't put any uh, hard claims, you know, on probiotics or whatever it is. There is still, I think, in the consumer's perception, a very strong link towards a positive aspect on their health. And, and we see it for, I mean, in, in many reasons. One, the products that contain probiotics are still, you know, selling quite well and are still, you know, getting promoted. There's still a lot of uh, producers actually launching those types of products. So it's, it still has something that attracts consumers. 
because of the fact that more and more on social media we are talking about microbiome, the gut being the second brain, the link be- between, you know, immune health and the gut and, you know, emotional health, like the whole like, digestive system basically, right? And, and how does that affect our mood? How does that affect our, our daily day? Uh, and et cetera, et cetera. So those are type of subjects that we're seeing more and more on actually social media and discussions being had on a very basic consumer level. And, and of course, a lot of scientific, uh, you know, um, research is happening on this subject. A lot of things are being published, et cetera, et cetera. So there is an interest there. Then the link back to the plant-based is that, again, most of the people that are consuming that, there is, for me, different categories. I would say it's a spectrum. Uh, and the spectrum for me goes from basically carnivore to vegan. And even though today I think, you know, we can see a, a big rise in, in veganism and, you know, the, the, the approach that it has, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a lifestyle. That's, I would say, one of the extremes. And then when you go down the spectrum, you know, suddenly you go back, you know, to the vegetarians. And then, you know, now I think the most interesting aspect of, let's say, plant-based transformation, if you want to call it, is the whole, what I would call the general public consuming plant. And, and, and normally we say, okay, those would be the flexitarians. I know that, you know, people don't like being called really flexitarians because it doesn't really, you know, put you in one part or the other. It's like in the middle. Like, and, and so at the end of the day, these people are the people who are trying to eat healthier, eat in a manner that they are, they are in control of what they're eating. And this is becoming, I think, more and more relevant. And what we're seeing is that, okay, we always link a lot of flexitarians to millennials in a lot of ways, but actually what we're seeing is it's not only millennials. There is a big chunk of them, of course, and they influence also the others. But there's also, you know, the other generations and even the elderly generation, which are looking at this in different ways. And they all consume it for different reasons. So this chunk of population, what I was talking about, I think is, the, is one that is very interesting because of the fact that, of course, it's a big, the big size of the population, let's say, versus may, probably, you know, the vegans. And on top of it, it's, a, it's one that is very vocal because of the fact that they are a lot of time, even though it's because of, of course, majority of the younger generation are still on, you know, social media speaking about it and the way they're vehicling the messages today is much more, much more fast, much more active than, you know, in the past. And so these consumers, what, what, I, what we are seeing, and I mean, I'm, uh, and, and it's not, I wouldn't say it's, you know, dedicated to one single country. There are some variations, but what we're seeing is that they're consuming these type of products for four reasons. And those four reasons are health and wellness. And in there I can put naturally processed clean labels or cleaner, cleaner label, whatever you can, you know, however you want to name it, free from, so whether it's uh, gluten, lactose, uh, dairy, whatever it is, free from, it's it's all around, you know, GMO free, okay, that's I think probably, in, you know, in our part of the world, nearly a given and, and a need, uh, but it's also linked to then how the how the food is processed and, you know, naturally naturally processed has a, a big link to, you know, the whole part of fermentation, which I can come into in, in, a, in a short while. So that's the first, that's the first part. So all that's health and wellness. The second I would say is lifestyle choice. And that's really looking at what they're consuming and their diet. So when you're looking at it at an angle of, okay, I want to, I want to eat more healthy. I want to choose what I'm eating. I also want to eat food that will allow me to, you know, last or have the enough energy 
to last the full day or to last an afternoon without having to snack in between or eating less at lunch, having a snack, eating you know, less at dinner and having an, an, an evening snack. So there's all those different uh, dietary habits which are moving, which are changing, and the way that people are consuming is definitely having an influence on this plant-based. Third is sustainability. And when we're talking about sustainability, I think we've all seen, you know, the march for the, you know, for climate change uh, with the young students and people joining. So that whole sustainability aspect, I think, is, is, is going to be key. And I think for me, it's interesting because, of course, we very well know that their industry takes a lot of uh, resources and does have a certain amount of pollution. And a lot of people are doing a lot of efforts on, you know, communicating that and communicating the efforts that are done to reduce that. But the other aspect is also on the plant base. For the moment, all plant categories have a very sort of sustainable image to it, even though we very well know, for example, you know, the amount of water that is necessary to, you know, to have uh, an almond, for example, or something like that, is very close to what dairy uses, right? So there is that whole aspect of what exactly, what are the sources and communicating about that and how does that, you know, impact the whole, you know, uh, sustainability uh, cycle and how does that impact then the final product. So that's something I think is, is, is key. And the fourth one for me is animal welfare. And animal welfare, I think, is something that we don't look at it often enough, but it's something that I think is being talked more and more often, especially with this, uh, this population that is trying to vary their diet. If you ask me the ponderation, you know, if, uh, and why, uh, why I chose to say them in this order is, for me, though, that's the order of the importance. So health, being, health and wellness being first, lifestyle second, sustainability third, and then, and then the animal welfare uh, fourth. But they all interlink in some way. And that's, the, that's where, actually, I think today the plant-based products are such a, a good place to be because of the fact that all these four elements which consumers are looking for are answered by the product that is plant-based. But what we're seeing also, which is interesting, is that there is a move to also others. So, you know, all the type of cheeses that you could find, um, also, uh, you know, uh, cream cheese and things like that. So we've done, we did launch something there, and that's something that, I, that is actually quite new that I can, uh, that can, I can um, tell you about if that's interesting, is we do now have a solution for um, uh, a cream cheese type. So it's a spread. I don't like cream, calling cream cheese because then you refer to something that you're linking it on a dairy aspect. But this is basically a spread. So it's a plant-based spread that is basically uh, either soy or pea-based. Or pea, uh, uh, and it's basically fermented. So it has an aspect of naturally processed. The fermentation, a lot of these, a lot of these products in the past used to be just acidified, right? Um, but what we've noticed is that now with our new range of cultures, we're able actually to really influence the, the, the taste and texture of the, of the product. And that gives it a very, very smooth and very, very similar link to what, you know, uh, a consumer would expect from a normal cream cheese. So that's something which is, quite, which is really quite interesting. Of course, these products need to be stabilized somehow. And that's where we've, we've, we've clearly worked on our clean label We've identified in our portfolio what you know certain uh, certain ingredients which we think you know can answer the cleaner or clean label trend or or demand. That's something that we've also used to to stabilize our um, cream cheese uh, spread types. Uh, when you look at the ingredients, it's locust bean gum, pectin. Uh, these two you know um, uh, these two uh, hydrocolloids are are ones that you know are seen by the consumers as being natural. 
and then all that is starches, but native starches, so or flour, right? Anything that is flour-based. Those are the ones that we are working with, and and I think that allows us to be, you know, both hitting two trends at once, which is plant-based and clean label. And one thing, one thing maybe I can I can add, which is which is yeah. interesting, is that there is an aspect that we didn't talk about, but it's I think it's one that is also very interesting to talk about is the whole affordability side. And when we talk about affordability, for me, there is two, uh, there's two ways of talking about it. It's either affordable nutrition or a product that is affordable. You know, what is the, what is the level of acceptance of people within, you know, that affordability aspect of, you know, I want to buy something that is, has enough nutrition, nutrition in it, but that is affordable. And then when we're talking about that, of course, you know, you could think about Africa, Middle East, etc., where, you know, economically there is, uh, I mean, there is not the same buying power as in Europe. But why this is relevant for Europe is that a lot of the players today, I mean, think about it. Europe is one of the biggest exporters, right, of, of, of dairy products. Today, the demand of, of products is inferior to the production. And that's why also we, we were seeing a lot of decrease in a lot of different markets, especially in the fresh fermented market. A cheese probably more stable, but still not big growth numbers, right? But where the growth is coming from is export. And so a lot of the producers today are looking into, you know, how can they make additional value versus just selling just it as a commodity? Where can I bring the value into it? And this is where partnering with either local players in the, in the, in the regions like, you know, Southeast Asia, uh, um, uh, China, uh, we know a lot of products is, is going is going into those regions, but even Africa and the Middle East, they are big hubs of demand for dairy products. And there is still that aspect of here probably we're going more towards, okay, you know, we're trying to diversify. And, and you know, that's why the whole plant-based, I think, is very relevant. When you go to those countries, I think they're still very much dairy-focused. And, you know, for them, there is that dairy halo of uh, wellness that is linked to dairy that is still very, very strong. More and more, we're going, what we're going to see is we're going to see producers in the, in the West looking at how to penetrate those markets because that's where the demand is going to, is, is, is going to grow uh, and is growing more and more. It's a different type of product. It's different ways of consuming. You know, they don't, they don't necessarily have the same type of cheeses. It's not, it's not necessarily, you know, the same type of dairy, uh, you know, fermented products, um, more drinkable than spoonable. How, how does that all, how does that all work, right? And then there is an aspect of how do you make it, you know, accessible to people? And this is where we talk about affordability and we're working a lot on, you know, looking at the right protein and fat levels to be able to have something that is nutritious enough but at the right costing. And when we talk about cost, cost to the consumer, but then also there's, of course, the costing to the, to the producer as well. And that's something for Europe, which is starting to become more and more interesting, where we're getting more and more demand, is, you know, how can we manage cost? Because I think a lot, a lot of producers within Europe are on, under cost pressure at the moment. Uh, so this is a subject that I, you know, we are we are looking into and we are working on it. Probably something that you know, mid mid of this year we will we will be targeting a bit more focused to see how we can help even further the producers optimize their costs at an acceptable level for consumers. And now we take our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTL FC Stone. Butter was a little stronger this week in the futures market, despite prompt physical butter continuing to be stable at around the 4,000, 4,100 level per tonne. 
May June uh, last week was trading around forty four forty two seventy five in futures, uh, but more around the forty three fifty level this week. Quarter three was also stronger, up from the forty four fifty level last week by about fifty to seventy five euros to forty five hundred forty five twenty five level this week. End users are continuing to keep the demand in futures at a premium to physical, despite improvement in physical milk supply. Skimmel powder was stronger this week, also up about €20 Euros from 1990 to the 2010 level in, in May, June. In quarter three and quarter four, where resistance level of 2000 had been broken, we've continued to see uh, the upward momentum and, and prices through the 2100 level now. This seems to be on the back of continued global demand for powder, as also reflected in the, in the non-fat market in the US. Whey seems to be conti- continuing to consolidate around the 820-825 level of, of last week. Great. Thanks, Liam. We'll talk to you next week. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's all we have time for for this show. Hopefully I will see some of you at Vita Foods. But before then, we do have one more podcast. And on next week's show, among other things, we'll talk a little about the International Way Conference in 2020 and with Arla Foods Ingredients about their new whey protein hydrolysate for clear sports drinks. And so, until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs>